Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change a Recovery Podcast. My name is Ashley Lobasson Game, and I am your host. And I am here with the wonderful, the amazing, the beautiful, the five foot nine, <laughs> Christiana Kimmick. <laughs> I just was looking for another quality. <laughs> You're so good at introducing people. I feel like I'm slacking on introducing you. I need to like pump you up. Like, oh, n- n- no. Buddy and- <laughs> out of the right wing. Coming to the podcast ring. Wait, how did they say? Finding out of the, what did they say? I don't know. Out actually. of the left corner. I think left corner, right corner. Is it? I don't know. We're going to have to check on that. Me and my <laughs> sister used to call it out of the other side of the square whenever we fought. <laughs> Because her room was a square. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're like, on one side of the square. (laughs) Right side of the ring. That doesn't sound right. Let's look it up and then we should do it. Oh, yeah. Okay, wait. Fighting out of the... Don't they have colors? Like red and blue? Fighting out of the red corner? Yeah, I think it's red corner. Fighting out of the red corner. Fighting out of the red corner weighing in at... Yeah, I think it's fighting out of the red corner. What's the other corner? Blue? Yeah. Can I be blue? Yeah. <laughs> I like blue. Riding out of the red corner. <laughs> you can be red because you're We the- will not disclose our weights, but we will <laughs> disclose our height. <laughs> Wait, are you 5'6"? Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> we just talked about this with- My wingspan is unknown. <laughs> <laughs> and my arms are super long. So. And her arms are very long. So either way, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> what would I do in a fight? I'm going to put like a red and blue corner. Oh, that's a good idea in the podcast booth. Fighting out of the red corner of the podcast booth. We have. But we're not fighting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Talking out of the <laughs> red corner of the booth. We, we have. You know her as Karen Lobster Karen. It's time. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to get somebody to come in and do that voice. That would be so yeah, cool. Isn't that what he says? It's time. That was really good. That was really good. <laughs> what is that what he says? Bruce whatever? I don't know. Wait. Bruce Buffer, right? You know a lot more than I do. I, I have no clue. <laughs> do, I, we watch Bruce soccer. Buffer. I got it. Yeah. Oh, okay, look wait, at you. Wait. No, I, all I knew is goal. That's all I hear at my house. At the, but that's not Buffer. Freestyle Trimmer, featuring skin-safe technology, oh. with an undefeated record of 37-0, and 0, fighting out of San Diego, California, presenting the reigning, defending, undisputed champion of the world, the Manscaped Lawnmower 2.0 Trimmer! It's shave time! He got paid for that ad. So apparently we just did that ad. But <laughs> yeah, so. You're welcome, Bruce Buffer. <laughs> yeah, Bruce Buffer. Okay. I can't believe you It's that. time! No, that wasn't a good one. That sounds like, um, like, you, like it should be on Monsters Inc. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> that with scary. my laugh, I should be a voiceover. You should be a voiceover. Oh, I've always wanted to be one too. We should do it. We could send this podcast. I'm sure. Okay. We should do it. Yeah. Yeah. 
sweet, yeah. I guess. <laughs> Great idea. Today we'll talk about substance use. Tomorrow, a Disney princess. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> Fighting out of the blue corner. <laughs> Jasmine. <laughs> and her tiger. <laughs> oh, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be Jasmine and I wanted a tiger. Yeah, for sure. Who wouldn't want a tiger? Oh, for sure. Oh, that'd be amazing. I wanted to be locked in a clean palace like that. <laughs> She's like, I can't go outside the palace walls. I'm like, girl, yes. you have it great. Don't worry about going outside the palace walls. You are doing just fine. Yeah, yeah. Relax. <laughs> it's fine. You have a tiger and a pool. And you're in shape and have great abs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You Your life have, is great. You do have only one outfit. But other than that... <laughs> Other than that, it's all good. No one ever thought about that when we were younger either. Like there wasn't a change. Yeah. It was the same outfit all the time. It's true. That's curious, actually. You'd think that that would create a generation of girls who would require fewer outfits. That would have been a good thing. I'm not sure that that was the effect. I would have saved a lot of money. A lot. I don't think that was the effect. No. What would you wear if you were a Disney princess? If I was a Disney princess, what would I wear? How, what would I look like? <laughs> I'm so pretty. <laughs> what would you wear? Uh, um, you would look like yourself. You'd, oh, so you'd be then you. I'd wear a f-ing rucksack. <laughs> I'd wear a lot of diamonds. Okay. Would yeah. you would you be in a dress or would you be like jeans and like if someone could make you into a cartoon and kind of depict like who you were? Hmm. I would wear a lot of power suits Ooh. and diamonds. Ooh. And jeans as well. She'd have costume changes. <laughs> yeah, I would wear a lot of different clothing. I love it. I so love it. And then like would you wear your hair up or your hair down? Well, I'd probably have a team, so I'd, I could wear it. I could wear it down because I'd have a team to do you'd it. Have a, you would have a cartoon entourage. Yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. You'd show people what it takes mm-hmm. to be successful, and that takes a team. Yeah, to be a Disney princess for sure. <laughs> so you don't just wake up with makeup on? Yeah? Question mark? I tattooed eyeliner. <gasps> Ooh, mm. oh, I want to do that so bad. Yeah, and the eyebrow stuff. Microblading? Microblading, yes. But it hurts. Yeah, everything hurts. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we digress, <laughs> per use, per use, we've had some amazing guests on so far for season two. Yes. I mean, yes. really. Hit them out of the park right away. I feel like we've had such, we've had a lot of guests that obviously have similarities, mm-hmm. but the diversity of the stories has been so neat to hear. Yeah. A lot more substance abuse, mm-hmm. you know, which I think is cool. And like really getting into the nitty gritty on that and different types of thought patterns. And I love like we got, you know, a guy on here and um, I would definitely like to get more of that. We've got more guys coming down the line. Yeah. Which is neat because we've actually had we've had more guys uh, that have actually signed up and mm-hmm. have been filling out our podcast guest application. Last year, we had to kind of chase some of them down. <laughs> like, we need some men. We need Please share your yeah. story. 
but we've got more coming down the line soon. I don't know if they'll be published in March or April, but we've got them coming. So some of our recent episodes and the episodes that we're going to outline today are episode 37 with Kim Jorgensen-Richard, mm-hmm. episode 38 with Ashley Morgan, and episode 39 with Mike McAllister, which is our that's first guy. That's a heavy lineup. These stories are no joke. Yeah, that's a heavy lineup. I, I wasn't even sure when preparing for this after the episode where to even start. Yeah. Because there's so much this after the episode could either be like a touch point into a few things Mm -hmm. or it could be, you know, two and a half hours long, which (laughs) we're not going to (laughs) do. Because the whole point is for this to be a little bit of a summary. But I really want to encourage our listeners, if you have not had the chance to listen to these episodes, they are each so worth it. And you're going to walk away. I mean, just like with our other episodes, but since we're reviewing these, you're going to walk away with so much knowledge and inspiration mm-hmm. from each of these amazing people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just is And perspectives, like different perspectives on lifestyles. Like, you know, the, the we had um, Kim who grew up on the East Coast and, you know, parents were immigrants and then, you know, in the fishing industry and And uh, you had, you know, Mike who grew up in the desert in California, in Southern California, um, and, you know, kind of – and his dad was – what did he do? He was a painter. A painter, right? And then you have Ashley who grew up in in Los Angeles and, you know, very wealthy family and town Mm -hmm. and and all the the different things and similarities and dysfunctions and, like, really at the end of the day, you know, the same feelings and that were highlighted across all those different experiences, but very different experiences for sure. Something that – I don't think I'm the first person to coin this phrase, but it's something that popped into my head. As I've been listening to these episodes, other episodes, but specifically talking about how each of these guests have come from different walks of life in such different areas. You know, we always talk about alcohol being the great equalizer, Mm -hmm. and it's so true. Mm -hmm. Something that I've also seen is that pain is the great equalizer. Mm -hmm. You can come from anywhere and be with anyone. And if you are in pain and experiencing pain, there's just, you can find that connection with other people there as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, it's really been very eye-opening for me Yeah, to really watch that and watch as that played out. And even watch as like each person's told their story. They're like, well, I could always find the people that, you know, were doing drugs and alcohol and using. Like I always was able to find that. I think it's because of that too. It's because of that pain as well. Yeah. You know, it's like you you find the people that are trying to take care of the same void that you're feeling or the same pain that you're feeling. Yeah, we call them like companions or lower companions. We can always find lower companions to make ourselves feel better. Yeah. It's so true and doesn't necessarily have to you don't have to either or even be using drugs Mm-mm. and alcohol in order to do that. Right. That can be in any aspect too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Depend it's a self-esteem you know, can be very related to self-esteem on its own. Absolutely. Some of the main episode themes that we heard out of 37, 38, and 39 is we talked about alcoholism, a lot on drug abuse, a lot of rejection and abandonment surrounding these stories, uh, dysfunctional families of origin, and from all different walks of life too, which was really interesting to hear about. 
And then we also heard about the process of relapse with each of these guests Mm -hmm. and what it looked like, how it really starts whenever, you know, we're talking um, and educating our clients at Lion Rock and in other treatment programs as well. Relapse is not simply one decision. It's a series of decisions that gets you there. It's a process that gets you there. That was very evident Mm -hmm. in so many of these stories. Mm -hmm. And I know specifically, I was listening to Kim's episode again, and she had found sobriety at a young age, had gotten plugged into AA, lived in a halfway house, met her husband there, got married, had two kids, Mm -hmm. and was sober for I think it was a couple of years. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she talks specifically about how she and her husband were still, like, unhappy. Like, they had all these elements that they felt like, well, we should be happy now. Like, we're living, Mm -hmm. like, the dream. We're living this life. But they were missing something. And so they said they tried to fill it with marriage. They tried to fill it by having kids. Like, they thought that that would fix it. It's not that those things are bad or those things won't make you happy or help you, but they were trying to fill that void with those things, and it wasn't working. And so she starts listing other things, and then they said they wanted to go to concerts. And, like, again, these are all good things. These are not things that are, like, this will lead you to relapse, but it's not going to fill that void that, like, doing the work that we talk about is going to do, like, that personal work on the inside. Right, right. And 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 over time, that, like, you know, spiritual maintenance and, and growth is vital. Like, mm-hmm. if you, you know, and it was kind of something that um, we talked about in Mike's episode, too, which was and something I found myself saying a lot this week, which is like you grow or you go. Like you want to stay sober a long time, you have to be willing to grow because there is only so long that you can white knuckle it. And I've seen people white knuckle it a long time. Usually men are able to do it for longer and they're really angry. Like <laughs> they're really angry people. Like dry drunks are really angry typically. And most of the time you either step up to that next, you know, phase of growth or you get loaded. Mm-hmm. And I, I haven't seen a lot. And and that's been my experience as well. Like not just what I've witnessed, but it's also been my experience where I've come up against these emotional roadblocks and I was so unhappy using the tool, the like outdated tools and coping skills and thought processes that I had that I wanted to drink or I wanted to use or whatever the behavior was. And I either had to, I either was going to engage in that behavior or I was going to seek help to get to that next place to figure out what coping skills, tools, thought processes I needed to change or acquire in order to get to a place of no longer feeling that pain. Because I'm not somebody who can live with pain for very long, and unless I'm pregnant with twins and have no choice. Oh, And then, um, you know, Mike was talking about the same thing, right? Like you just just grow where you go. And and that growth may look different for different people. So like it doesn't – again, like it's – you know, we have a lot of people who are going to share similar tools – on the podcast. But again, like that growth, you know, your growth may be, someone's growth may be like they um, have some community that helps them get sober, stay sober. And then at five years, all of a sudden, you know, their trauma comes up and they need a trauma therapist that specializes in 
their particular trauma, you know, whatever it is, whatever that is. Like it may be, it may not be the same thing that I needed at five years or that Joey needs at five years. Like it might, who knows, but it's something. It's Mm -hmm. usually something. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's you just had kids. Like for me, the kids brought up all my childhood trauma and I was like, pretty sure I dealt with this. And I guess, and that was the other thing. I stalled and got real, got in a lot of pain because I decided that it couldn't be that because I had already worked through that when early sobriety. So I was like, oh, well, I've already done that work. I've already done EMDR. I've already done, I already did a ton of therapy. I already did blah, 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 blah. And so I was like, that can't be it. You know, I've already, this is something new. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's wrong. And, you know, I, I was, it was that. And so I think that like, it might be something reoccurring. It might be something new. It might be, you know, like it's just about the willingness to address and to grow so that you don't have to anesthetize. That's a really good point because someone that I was recently listening to, I can't remember if it was a podcast guest that we were talking to, either on or off air, Mm -hmm. or if it was like a speaker. I think it was a guest. They said, I totally understand how people, some people have relapsed in long-term sobriety. And it's because of that. Like, it's like not recognize. okay, I've already dealt with that, you know, saying. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it must be something else. I've already dealt with that. Like, maybe you haven't. Right. Maybe you haven't hit the, de- you know, like that's where like the openness to, the openness and the willingness to just get better. Like mm. not decide what, you know, like I had decided that that was done. Mm. <laughs> like Instead of I, going back through it again. Yeah, or? like I would decide it like. Like, what's going on? Like, why, you know, one of the things that happened for me, right, was when I was a kid and after my early childhood trauma, I gained, like, as a little, little kid, I gained weight, like, really fast. I gained, like, 40 pounds as a first grader, like, really fast. And then after I had the twins, I, you know, worked really hard to get the weight off. And then I – but I – the work I did was not like behavioral change, like long-term sustainable changes, right? Like I just like grit my teeth and took the weight off. And then when I got, when I basically started dealing with all the emotional stuff, I just couldn't. And so I, same thing happened. Mm -hmm. I put on all this weight super rapidly. Well, it turns out it was like, and then, so I, you know, started doing everything I could to try to figure out what was going, like, what is this? This can't happen. I need to get this under control. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I go to therapy and lo and behold, it's the same thing. Like if you had told me that's what it was, it would have been like, there's no way. I don't Mm -hmm. need to go to therapy for that. I've already talked that through. This is a, you know, you know, this is a, I need new food eating skills. I need new nutri- I need a nutrition class. I need a blah, 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 like all the different things, right? Well, no, like something, you know, it, like it makes perfect sense now, but like when you, if you're a survivor of sexual abuse, then when you have children, which is a very like involved and like it involves, you know, being pregnant, being, you know, having like giving birth, it involves a lot of exams and it involves a lot, like there's a lot of stuff that could trigger that. And that it's all about your body. And then, you know, like there's all these things, right? And so like if you, I had dealt with things to the point that I was capable, but I had never had this experience before. How could I have dealt with pregnancy, bringing up those traumas if I'd never been 
you know, had children before? Have I never, you know, gone through full pregnancy before? And so, yeah, I like was really not open at first to that being the case because I couldn't imagine that that would be the problem. Right. And I basically, I had decided what the problem was, even though I didn't know, right? Where, which was like ego, like, no, no, I've done that. Right. I've done the work. <laughs> like, as opposed to like, I don't wow. care. Someone help me. Right. Whatever. House is on fire. <laughs> like, yeah. It's coming right. Down. Yeah. Like, whatever. Like, why does it matter if I've done the work? Why does it matter what the problem is? Like, just deal with it. Right. Like, it doesn't matter. I'm not, and like, I don't perceive myself to be, to put different issues that I have in hierarchies, Mm -hmm. but like I had, somehow I had, it's like, well, I've already done my childhood work. Mm, Like you still have to do it, but I've already done that. Okay. So, and like, like, I didn't realize that I did that, but like, apparently I did. Right. And maybe it was just myself. Maybe I'd, maybe I, like, sometimes I judge myself really harshly and I don't actually hold that judgment for others, but, but yeah, like that willingness and that openness to be like, I have not done this part of life before. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's going on. Right. I have not done this. I don't have these skills and my old skills are not serving me and giving me the life that I want to live. So what do I need to do? Right. And that's like that. I mean, I had to be like forced into that, that mindset and, and that willingness. But I think that in some way, shape or form, we all go through that. I think whether you're an alcoholic or not, yeah, everybody goes through that where you're just like forced to look at stuff or whatever, like grow up to the next level. Yep. And the difference between the person who's addicted and the person who's not is that the person who's addicted, life depends on it. Gosh, man. Right? So like you can stall. If you're not addicted, you can stall. I've watched people do it. I'm I'm not sure that's a great alternative, but like you probably- Gets you nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it's, you know, it's probably actually better for it to be expeditious, like something, their pressure, but the stakes are a lot higher. Yeah. And so that that's just the difference. Like we're not unique that that happens to us. We're unique in that the consequences of not doing it are really grave. Yeah. That's I've heard you talk about that before in another after the episode because we were clarifying that it's not that other people, someone had told you like, Peter, my dad. That's right. It was. He was like, well, I feel pain about things as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, we, he why? would say like, I, he would go to meetings and he was like, I feel this way. And you know, like, I think a lot of people feel this way. And so we were talking about, like, what's the difference? The difference is, is you don't try to kill yourself over it. Yeah. With drugs and alcohol. You're like, or you don't, you know, like, your life isn't suicide on the installment plan, right? Yeah. Like, you feel that way. Mm-hmm. And then you, you know, watch too much TV or, you know, you know what I mean? Like, or whatever. Whatever it is that you do, whatever your vice is, you read a bad magazine, you, you know, I don't know. Um, but you don't ingest toxins in order to completely numb out, right? right? Like, or whatever it is, or burn people's lives to the ground or blah, blah. Right. Right. So like your response, it's really, it's really our response to it, not what it is in and of itself. There are some things that are particular to alcoholism and drug addiction, like some feelings that I don't think a lot of people or don't think regular people have. Mm -hmm. But I think for the most part, our feelings are common. They're just our reactions aren't. Right. That makes sense. Can you talk to us a little bit about your friend Ashley in episode 38? She was so amazing as well. And it was really neat to see. It's always neat to see people that you know coming into the podcast booth on top of people that we don't know as well. But it's neat because I feel like I get to see like those pieces of like your story Mm -hmm, come together. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And then hearing everybody's recovery story is just, it blows me away. Um, Ashley talked a lot about 
that, as you call it, suicide on the installment plan. I mean, she was hospitalized. <laughs> she, you know, ran away and was like, what, missing for 12 hours or 24 hours or something. Her family went looking for her at some point. Yeah, they like found her near a car or something. I don't remember. And she was, I think she was so, like she was dangerously close to death yeah. at that point. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about her story and about just like that drive you know it's like it's that drive that we talk about that it's like anything to just fill that void and to make that pain go away she talks a lot about the radio noise in her head yeah a lot yeah um I was funny I was talking to someone about this today like you know I know and I'll probably say this for the rest of my life it looks like which is that we are you know we were born with our skin too tight like we didn't know that um, the world was supposed to feel any different. So we just responded to life in a way like everybody finds things. They find their passion. They find they like sports. They find the thing they like to do, the enjoyable thing they like to do. But when you're born with your skin too tight, like alcoholics and drug addicts are, right? We're born with that just like complete discomfort, anxiety in our own skin. The only thing that feels like that feels joyful or passionate or like something you want to do is use, you know, use substances to make yourself feel better. So like, I think you heard even in like, you know, in, in Mike's story, uh, in Ashley's story, like in Kendra's story, like I knew this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Like those are the words, like not like I picked up a pen and I knew I wanted to be a writer for right. the rest of my life or I picked up like, we're talking about I picked up a drink. Like, have you ever picked up a pineapple juice and been like, I know I want to do this for the rest of my <laughs> life, right? Like, when you put it that way. Right? But yeah. I mean, that's what we're talking about. Like, it doesn't make right. any sense. That doesn't happen with other things other than I picked up a baseball bat. I knew I wanted to be a baseball player for the rest of my life. That happened to me with dance. dance. I, I was knew watching I wanted to be on the stage. Performance. That's exactly. right. Exactly. That yeah. does happen it's with so people. so funny. I've never drawn that like, but, like, parallel. All these people who don't know each other, who I'm interviewing, say, I picked up a drink of alcohol and I knew I wanted to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. That's where you get the like mental shifts where people, where we talk about like the difference between someone who is addicted and someone who is not. Right. That's not a normal thought. Mm -hmm. I want to do this for the rest of my life. Like I want, because what we're talking about is almost an occupation mm -hmm. and how we feel about it is that we're going to commit that like full time. Like it's a full time. There are a lot of people who can use part time. I'm not one of them. Um, I don't. I don't really relate to that, to be perfectly honest. I'm just right. not functional. And you know, some of the stories that we heard, it was the same thing. Ashley and and Mike, where it's like it's a full time job, like mm -hmm. just with the headspace. And you find this thing that like gives you the opportunity for the first time in your life to take a deep breath right? Like mm -hmm. gives you the first, like it's like the first, it's like running a marathon and then you finally get to sit down mm. and your feet are hurting and, you know, I, you know, like you just, your body aches. And the first time you sit down, it's like, it's the best feeling in the whole world. Yeah. And that's what it feels like. It feels like you've been just ra like running your body ragged because everything is so uncomfortable. And then you take this, this sip of this thing or, you know, whatever, smoke this, whatever it is, and it's like the first time you've sat down. And then at that moment, 
for most people, it's not like, well, you just lost your whole family and the whole world blew up, you know, right? Like nothing happens. Right. That's the only experience you have. And so now you have this tool that helps you to deal with the rest of your life. And it makes perfect sense why, particularly when this happens to young children or teens or whatever, why they definitely don't see a reason why they shouldn't do that. Right. And there's no replacement, you know, there's no replacement. It's like I was I was talking to a friend today about adolescence and talking to adolescents about how do you talk to a teenager who is using and explain to them like the fun you're having now is like no question. You're having fun. I see that. I get that. Here's what's here's where the problem is. Like here's what happens. The fun stops, right? Yeah. And acknowledging that it's fun and it works really well. Like the drugs and alcohol work really well when you're young and like, you know, typically. And mm-hmm. it's fun and it's thrilling and like why wouldn't you want to do it? Like those, the, you know, the D.A.R.E. campaign, which basically talks about, you know, just don't do it or whatever. Just say no. Just don't do it. <laughs> just say no. Clearly, I, just don't do it. It's really, really had an effect on me. Um, just say no. It's like it completely, it completely misses the whole reason why people do it in the first place. And it fails to acknowledge that drugs and alcohol are a lot of fun. Like, no one talks about that when right. you're talking about, like, right. like it's like, hey, you really shouldn't do that. Like, okay, yeah, you're right. I probably shouldn't. But but I like it. And but, it makes me feel good. Right. So, so like, what's so bad about it? Maybe we should talk about mm-hmm. that. Like, maybe we should talk about, like, I totally get that this makes you feel good. And I totally get that you're having a good time right now. And that makes perfect sense to me. And I relate to that because when I was a teenager, that's how I felt. But this is what I have seen happen. This is what happened for me, you Mm -hmm. know, where you talk about it from the perspective of, like, sharing your experience. And, you know, in Ashley and – well, in Ashley's story um, and Mike's as well, but in Ashley's story, like, you have people of authority just saying basically, like, you're a fuck up. Don't do this. Mm. You're – you know, this is not okay. Like, there's just never an acknowledgement – in a meaningful way other than, you know, maybe for Mike, his teacher, of like, hey, like I can see that this is something that's working for you. Maybe we can figure out something else that right. can work as well. Right. Or that, you know, maybe we can talk. Like I think when – and when you have that much chaos going on, like when, you know, Ashley's life, when she had that much chaos going on with her mom and her dad not being there and and the, you know, marriages and the disappearing and the – the money is pawn, you know, using them as pawns and the money. Like it's just like, how do you how do you possibly expect someone that age to make sense of that? How, how do you expect someone of any age to make sense of that? Right. You know, I mean that's and you have no power and no control. Right. So like, you know, she talks about like her dad came to her and said, you know, you can stay here with your mom in LA or you can move with me and my wife to Seattle. And She's like, okay, like he's giving me the choice. I think we're going to stay with mom. And he's like, no, just kidding. You're coming to Seattle. Like Mm. the overall effect that you have on someone on, on a, you know, on a young mind that does that is like, I don't have a way out. So I have to survive the situation. Mm -hmm. There are two ways out, right? Like you anesthetize so that you can get through it or you kill yourself. Right. So the kids that don't kill themselves, they still have to find a way to live in that chaos. 
right? So maybe they get in fights a lot. Maybe they cut themselves. Maybe they have an eating disorder. Maybe like they're still going to find a way to manage through a situation that's completely unmanageable and they have no say over. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was really what I heard in, uh, you know, in Ashley's story. And in Ashley's story, I heard exactly what Michelle Murphy said in whatever the second episode of the season, which episode was 34, 34 um, which was that she was not considered. Like mm-hmm. Michelle talked so much about how with her mom, like I was not considered mm-hmm. and the effect that had on her. And when I was listening to Ashley's story that phrase kept going through my mind. I was mm. not considered. Like, Ashley didn't use those words, but, like, that was – she was not considered. Like, their feelings, their needs, mm-hmm. she, you know, her and her sister, like, just not on the not on the top five list of things that were, you know – Thought of or brought to mind. Yeah, or, or yeah. like a, a the factor kids, in their decision-making. They just weren't treated like humans for the most part. It was, it was definitely all about – well, especially in her mom's case, it was all about her mom and what her mom and it was wanted all, and said. And, and it was about her mom's mental illness. Yes. And I think that was kind of the piece, that was the threat. It's like, you know, I don't think her mom's a bad person. I think her mom had untreated mental illness. Mm-hmm. And her dad probably with his own issues and then with the untreated mental illness was like, I can't be in this marriage, right? Right. And then what does that do to the kids, right? Because mm-hmm. he's taking care of himself. Right to like move out of the situation and then trying to be the good dad and the stable parent and whatever. But what does that really do? Like what is the outcome of that, right? The outcome is that like the kids are left with the un- the parent with untreated mental right. illness. And so you can have all the money in the world and all the glitter and glam and like you don't treat your mental illness and you don't treat your issues. It doesn't like it, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. And it will snowball. Oh, I have yeah. 100% seen that not from a substance abuse perspective necessarily in my family, which to be honest is a little surprising because I was just realizing that both grandfathers on both sides of my moms and dads had like severe alcoholism, Hmm. like severe, like it was horrible, the stuff that that they put their families through. But I've definitely seen some people in my family who as they've gotten older and refused, like flat out refused to deal with certain issues, Mm -hmm. I see how it's compounded. Mm -hmm. And not only how it's compounded, but how it affects the generations below. Intergenerational trauma. It is unbelievable. The science on intergenerational trauma is, is absolutely astounding. It is Really, there's some amazing studies. Um, Judith Landau, Dr. Judith Landau, did a, a, a uh, international study on intergenerational trauma, and she did it in war-torn countries. She did it in, you know, she did it in. She's from South Africa, and Ooh. she did it in her, you know, she did it all over. And the intergenerational trauma from all the different places was really. Amazing. And for me, you know, I love data. And so it was really cool to be able to, I trained under her uh, doing interventions. And it was really cool to to read that data about like, no, like we can draw a line between, you know, this catastrophic incident, this international, you know, war, this, this, you know, like all these different things. And we can draw a straight line to like the trauma and that, the alcoholic is the person that actually brings the family together. 
because it unites all the family members around the identified patient. Wow. And so the alcoholic has the opportunity typically because they're the one that doesn't make it a lot of the time. Like they either change and can change the pattern or not. In some ways, that is not always the case, of course. There's always the case that you're an alcoholic, you have a child, and now you have <laughs> an adult child of an alcoholic, <laughs> and you have all that. But, um, but yeah, it was just really interesting how, like, you know, particularly as it related to when we were doing the, the interventions, like the alcoholic was the person in this family who would bring everybody together to, to deal with them. Wow. Right? So, That's like, so they true. would force the family to look at and talk about what was going on by virtue of being such an emergency. Wow. And it wouldn't have happened otherwise. No, absolutely not. I mean, I would get like the entire, these entire families in the room, grandparents, you know, like no conversations like that would have ever happened had there not been one person who basically was drinking themselves to death. Right. And frankly, didn't really know why. Right. Which is the mystery, which gets everybody there. Yeah, it's really wild. It's a really wild thing. But Ju Dr. Judith Landau did some amazing stuff on intergenerational trauma that I'm just fascinated by. And and it's real. Like, it's real. Um, but, yeah, wow. you don't deal with your issues and there are consequences. And dealing with, you know, I think I say this, like, dealing with issues. Like, a lot of the time, you know, therapy is a great place to start because it gives you an assessment it's like an assessment, like, okay, we're going to dig through this stuff. We're going to talk about it. And then you get an idea for what things you need in particular to do. Like maybe you're someone that needs to do a lot of meditation. Maybe you're, you know, maybe you, need, you really just need a psychiatrist. Maybe, you know, like yeah. a diet change. Maybe, you know, like there's, there's a lot of different things. But th what I love about the therapy piece is like it's a great place to start to just, okay, where do we start here? Mm -hmm. like what's, where are we going? Yeah. And, you know, Ashley's amazing. She really, as a quick pivot, but um, Ashley, she, uh, one thing that Ashley doesn't portray in her, or at least I don't think she portrayed in her podcast was just like how she has had to grow, how quickly she had to grow up mm -hmm. and how uh, creative she has been with being able to like figure out how to be an adult. Hmm. Um, and I, I've known her a long time and watched her grow up through her 20s. And, like, you would not have – I remember her in her early 20s. And, you know, people used to compare us a lot. And people would say to me, Ashley, you're an old soul and blah, blah, blah and whatever. But, like, I remember meeting Ashley. And she – her ability, her adultness, like her this, – this learned survival – you know, set of skills was so intact. Wow. And um, just always being really, like, sometimes impressed, sometimes concerned, sometimes, you know. But just it was really interesting, like, the piece you don't see is is that for a person who grew up the way that she did, the people that I know that grew up with that, you know, that much money or whatever, like, a lot of the time they didn't learn how to take care of themselves. Mm. It's the opposite. Yeah. And she is so, like all about not relying on other people, not rely like she and to probably to a fault, but it's just interesting to see like that that is not how that worked out for her. Like she right. is very much like I'm in a fully like fully self-supporting situation. And I, I just thought that was um I think that's it's always fascinating to see 
from like a sociological perspective, like what that stuff does and and how someone who came out of that situation, you know, she just, I really think that what she was taught was that there, you can't rely on anyone. And so she hasn't. Wow. Yeah. She, she comes across, she's so like elegant and Mm -hmm. she's like Mm -hmm. very put together Mm -hmm. and poised and gorgeous. Yeah. Um, but she's scrappy, man. She's super scrappy. Love it. Yeah. And it's pretty wild actually. It's pretty wild. I mean, she's it's it's it's, it's impressive. She um she's impressive and she has worked really she works really hard and I've just I've seen her grow a lot and I also have seen the struggle to rely on other people, like to mm-hmm. learn how to rely on other people to be interreliant. Mm-hmm. Um uh <laughs> that you know, that I've seen that be a real struggle for her in relationships. So like, I, I, you know, it's, everything is, you know, you know, nothing is ever perfectly balanced, but yeah, her sobriety and I've seen her go through some really gnarly stuff and being able to maintain sobriety through that. uh, Again, like I know she has had to grow. Yeah. And you can absolutely tell she's like, I, I've only had the pleasure of meeting her you know, during the episode recording, but mm-hmm. you can absolutely see, like, she just exudes the fact that she's working on herself mm-hmm. on a daily basis mm-hmm. and she is not playing around. It's no. really neat to see. Yeah. The stakes are really high for her. Yeah, absolutely. She doesn't have, you know, like, the, 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 she doesn't, it's it's her. Yeah. And, and whether it. that's true or not, mm-hmm. it's what her, what she believes. So, right. like, whether it's you know, at this point in her life, maybe like she has a better relationship with her family, with her dad, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, so maybe they wouldn't let her hit rock bottom at this point, but Mm -hmm. like, that is what her, that is how, that is her mindset. So I also know that she, like, for her, it's like, there's no one that's going to come and save me here. Right. There's no one, no one's going to come and save me. So it's me. Yeah. I remember that was, that was something that, you know, Ashley and I obviously have very, very different stories. She's come out of a tremendous amount, but something that we were able to kind of connect on was feeling like that that feeling of self-reliance, having to kind mm-hmm. of like help raise mm-hmm. the younger siblings mm-hmm. and uh, the mother mm-hmm. and her needs being the absolute only core of everything growing up. And I, it was funny because after I had talked with her a little bit and and just asked her some questions, I went home and was thinking about it, and, and I was actually thinking about so my husband and I we married 13 years in April, and it took me probably a solid like solid 10 years to like finally I don't know how to describe it. It's so weird to like rely on him for something and not just like. I married him by choice. I wanted to marry him. I was very excited to marry him. I had no issues marrying him at a young age. We were 24 when we got married. But it was like weird because it was like I was living with my best friend as a roommate is how I treated it. And even to the point where like after work, I would take care of myself for dinner and I'd just like be like, oh yeah, take care of yourself for dinner. Like I would make dinner every once in a while, but like it just... That's how I thought. And it was like, I'm going to make sure that I have food. And like, you can also make sure that you have food. Mm-hmm. And like, ha- like what actually got us started, <laughs> this is why I love dogs so much, um, c- like connecting and working together was whenever we got our first dog. Yeah. We had to 
communicate in order to take care of her and yeah. make sure that she was let out, make sure that, you know, we didn't overfeed her. You know, <laughs> we come home, she's like begging one of us like, no, I swear I haven't eaten. So we had to communicate. And it wasn't that I didn't want to. Yeah. It was just the programming. You no know, roadmap. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely yeah. nothing. It was survival mode. I am the only person that will feed me. I, like, I'm the only person that will clothe me. I'm the only person that will make sure everybody else in my life is okay. Mm-hmm. And so I'll check on you, make sure you're okay, but I still have to look out for me. Mm-hmm. Survival mode. Mm-hmm. And it takes so long to deprogram that. Mm-hmm. So I still, I have to catch myself and I have to apologize to him. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I am so sorry. I heard that. I saw that. I felt that. You're along for this journey. You're along on this ride with me. And so that's, I mean, I don't know if she's dating anybody. I didn't ask her that. But it is hard. It is a hard switch once you come out of that. And, like, my husband takes great care of me. Like, he is an amazing life partner. Yeah, but it's not about the person. It's about, like, the belief in what humans do, right? Like, you're just believe, like, what you've seen. And when your mother or your father, like, when the people who are supposed to take care of you don't, that changes the wiring of your brain like quite significantly as a, yeah. as a small child. So it's no it's not a mystery in terms of like brain wiring why that would be a very difficult thing. And I can definitely see that in Ashley. Like, you know, she does a lot of the same things you do and, and like she's an incredible friend. And, you know, definitely like if you do too much for her, she like gets very uncomfortable. She yep. wants to be the one giving more. And, you know, there's just a lot of that like very – concerned about what everybody's feeling like there's just she has a lot of those things that are from that like this belief that like people are not reliable like Mm -hmm. when you you know it's always funny like over the years we've been friends and I'll I'll do something like reliable and I'll you know you can hear that it's like she's not surprised she knows me but it's just it's always going like I don't know that there'll ever be a place where it'll fully be normal yeah it's like um like a true, like relaxed, or or yeah. rather, an expectation. Yes, that's exactly what. Yeah, it like is. maybe it's like, oh, I can accept it now, but like you can't get so far as to expect it. Yep, because that's whenever the rug was pulled out from underneath you. Right. That's whenever, right. like, if you that expect person it, left. it'll change. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then if you get too comfortable, then mm-hmm. and that rug mm-hmm. gets pulled out underneath you, then it's right. just re-traumatizing right. all the way around. And you so don't want to make yourself too vulnerable. Yes. Yeah. So it's better to live, like, on that edge where yeah. you're completely ready to run yeah. at any given point. And there's an air of, like, nice all the time. Yep. Like, you have to, like, push to get to the, like, under layer. Yes. And, and like... You know, it just fascinates me because it's it's a very similar thing. It's like you have to control yourself because you guys had very, very similar experiences. Like you have to control yourself because the person that is in charge here is not under control. Mm-hmm. And so like that creates a very – it rewires the brain. It does. And that like pretending – I don't know if she went into this at all. I can't exactly remember. She's a chronic apologizer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like my, you. My best friend gets really like you. not yeah. mad, but she she goes, she'll, she'll call me CK, Christiana. She goes, CK, stop apologizing yeah. to me. Stop saying I'm sorry. I'm yeah. about to get mad now. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. Stop no, no, no. Yeah, that, that's, I like, mean, uh, you guys have a sorry. similar, yeah. Yes. <laughs> sorry. Like, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. What do like, I say? Sorry. I have to say something to you. Like, you don't need to be sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think what's remarkable about all these stories, right, and and Mike's story is just like a bloom. Like Duh. knowing Mike for as long as I've known him and like watching him 
be vulnerable like that whoa was it blew my socks off i mean i went home and i was like oh my god mike did a f- just i was it blown was away phenomenal i was blown away and i and emily texted me how do you do how do you do i was like <laughs> oh my god he killed it so cool you know just really just he he just he left nothing like he just you know yeah. he just he um he really was willing to just go into all of the pain and all of the joy mm-hmm. and all of the struggle and all of it. And I I just – there's nothing I think is cooler, right, like just for me than people doing that. And Mike, knowing his story, and you guys heard his story, and having known him loaded. like, And I, I described yeah. it to him, you know, and like, he's a scary dude. And he's a huge – like you guys can't see him, but he's an enormous human being. Mm-hmm. And – so the combination of those things is pretty terrifying. And just to see this whole other person and, like, 10 years sober and, like, for me, just flashing back to, like, wow, like, this is, like, this is so amazing that even on a guy like this, mm-hmm. and I say that with love, like, a guy whose whole formative years were taught to be tough. Yep. When I say like this, that's what I mean. Like this is a guy who's all his wiring said, don't cry, be tough, don't blah, 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 blah. Don't trust other men. Don't, or don't trust anyone. Yep. And for him to be willing and able to make that change and to use, do it for 10 years without substances, man, you, you got to know that there's a chance that you can change too or that like something is possible or something is working, right? Like it's hard to deny. Those are the types of scenarios where it's like it's hard to deny that clearly something is working there because it's not – that's not the norm. Absolutely. And just having heard, you know, parts of the story from recording Emily last season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then having Mike here in person, because mm-hmm. that was my first time meeting him. Yeah. Wow. Like, it just, recovery in this community of people is just the coolest thing. It is It is just the coolest thing. And and it just, it just solidifies the fact that, like, anyone can do it. Really, truly, it's for everyone who is willing. It really is. Yeah. It's, it's not, fascinating. It's not for people who need it. It's not for people who want it. It's for people who do it. Yep. The last thing I want to say about this and before we wrap is that, you know, in all three of these situations, I'm not sure about Kim, but I'll, I'll, I'll say for Ashley and for Mike, you know, there are a lot of people in their professional lives. And um, I know with Mike and, and M just recently kind of came out about her recovery more openly. There are a lot of people in their lives that don't know that they're in recovery. Mm. And one of the beautiful things about recovery is that like and with people in recovery is like we are in your community we are your neighbors Mm -hmm. uh we are your councilmen we are your you know your city councilmen we are your trash pickup guys we are your therapists we are your um door dash people we are you know (laughs) you know like we are you you know in in your we're teachers like we're in your community, we're in the community, and yeah. we don't always. Many of us in those circumstances are not open about. Like we're not telling you, like, "Hi, I'm your kid's teacher, and right. I'm in recovery." But like, rest assured, I know plenty of teachers who are in recovery. Mm-hmm. So, I think the thing to remember for people who are listening who aren't super affiliated with this community is like, don't be so sure that you know what this looks like. Don't be so sure that you know what active addiction looks like or that you know what recovery looks like because 
the likelihood is that you run into us all the time and you don't know. Mm -hmm. And that means that we are recovering in a way where we get to be active members of the community and you don't need to know that about us. But what it also means is that you've probably gotten to know us without having that information and therefore judging us by that information. If you did judge us by that information, you'd be incorrect. Yeah. Because the fact of the matter is that when people – Get, I mean, at this point, I have a podcast, so it's a little bit. I'm 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 a little bit out, like fully out of the closet here. But um, you know, when people have gotten to there, there are many professional settings where people don't know that, and when they get to know me, and then they hear about my story, that they don't put those two people together, and there's a reason. Right, those two people aren't the same anymore. And right. so, if I were to be judged, or if listeners are judging people based on their past, when mm-hmm. that's not who they are anymore, you're making a mistake. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And that's one of the reasons why, well, I, I can kind of preempt this, why I'm, I did this addiction video that we're going to show in April, because there's a stigma to that. Yeah. And we just kind of wanted to humanize that and yeah. message. And so we're hoping to be able to help kind of tell that story along with this. So that's coming in April. Yeah, just wanted to kind of throw that out there. Honestly, not for self-promotion, no, but no, just no. for that standpoint because it's that's the exact stigma that we want to break. Right. And we want to help really people – help people who may not understand to really connect with that and understand where and why. That's one of the beauties of the long form of the podcast is that people get to tell their stories and you get to understand how they got from A to Z, you know? And you get to hear the recovered person. Right. You get to hear that, that it's that, that's, this is the person that they right, were able to right, become. Right. You get to hear it. Like the, one of the greatest examples of like questions, right? Like how does someone spend 25 years in prison? Like how does someone get to the point where their whole life is crime and this and whatever? And like you yeah. listen to Dan, Dan episode from season one, which he talks literally about how that happened. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh. Well, that makes sense. It does make sense. It makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. You have no choices or you have two very bad choices, right? Yeah. And I just think stories like that are so important to tell because it, in some ways, people, you know, again, I always say like some people are just asses and that's it. There's just (laughs) no like great explanation behind it. They just are. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, Some people are recovering asses. (laughs) You know, like some people are, you know, possibly to be recovered. (laughs) You know, the thing that's helpful is like telling those stories and you can you can humanize it and you can go, oh, that's how you go to prison for 25 years. Yep. That's why you keep going in and out. Like yep. you, it just makes sense of it, right? Because mm-hmm. you, you hear the whole thing. But when you just hear see the rap sheet, you're like, what? what's the deal? Right. What's, what's the, going on with you? Yeah, what's going on? Why can't you figure out how to not be in jail? Right. So I just really um, – I really love helping tell these stories because I, th- I think that with the stigma, part of what needs to happen is for people to understand how it happens. Yep, absolutely. And I think we'll be t- kind of focused on telling more of that as the podcast goes on too with just some different bonus episodes that we're going to bring forth too. So we're really mm-hmm. excited about that. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. Subscribe, download, share. Go on our podcast social media and share it with all your friends uh, on Instagram, the Courage to Change underscore podcast. And I think Facebook is just the Courage to Change podcast. No underscore. Yeah. And I think we're going to be having some giveaways soon, right? We are. So that's exciting. Stay tuned for that as well. Um, I don't want to promise you what those giveaways are because we are still under debate for those. <laughs> but they're going to be great. They'll be great. They'll be they awesome. Are. Whenever they are, they're going to be great. It's a piece of Ashley's hair. 
in a box. Yeah, right. I'm not giving out my DNA. <laughs> in this day and age. <laughs> well, we have had so much fun from our second after the episode. Looking forward to so many more. Stay tuned for an exciting guest next week. And we'll see you then. Goodbye. This podcast is sponsored by Lion Rock Recovery. Lion Rock provides online substance abuse counseling where clients can get help from the privacy of their own home. They are accredited by the Joint Commission and sessions are private, affordable, and user-friendly. Call their free helpline at 800-258-6550 or visit www.lionrockrecovery.com for more information.